This episode was recorded before the beginning of the 2017 Florida Legislative Session. For more information on how the bills mentioned turned out, check our website at voteray.co, where the podcast page for this episode will be listed. And also make sure to listen to the legislative wrap-up episode that will air at the beginning of May when the session has concluded. Now, let's talk about pot, the legal kind. that has changed a lot in the last few years, and that is marijuana and its legalization. I'm joined today by three guests. First is a returning guest, Nick Jimenez. Yeah, I am Nick Jimenez, and I am the senior editor at Cigar Snob Magazine, as well as the founder of DadeMag.com. We also have with us Adam. I'm Adam Schackner. I'm a high school English teacher and a member of Emerge Miami, which is a local organization trying to get people in Miami to love their city and do more with it. And we also have Kathy. My name is Catherine Estrada, and I'm a pharmacist at Health South Rehabilitation Hospital. This episode and all the episodes are brought to you by VoterAid. VoterAid is a website where you can go and get specific information that is catered to you and your opinions. Whenever an election's coming up, come by VoterAid.co. That's .co. Forget about the M at the end. Now, you might think that you don't have an election until 2020 when uh, President Trump will run for office once again. However, there are many elections at the state and local level that will affect you ahead of time. In fact, a lot of people don't know this, but the average Floridian is represented by anywhere between 20 and 25 elected officials, depending on where you live. Uh, If you live in a place like Miami, uh, Hialeah, St. Petersburg, Orlando, even Miami Beach, you will be voting for a mayor in November. If you are in Coral Gables, you will be voting for a mayor and a city commission in a few days. So make sure to go to VoterAid.co. When there's an election in your municipality, we've got you covered. Now, speaking about one of those very important issues that VoterAid uh, asks opinions for, there is marijuana. Marijuana is a particular issue of importance uh, in, in history. It's been one that has been regulated in a manner that has been, let's say, uh, conflicting uh, from time to time, depending on the era that you are in. Much like many drugs that are now considered Schedule One, uh, there was a time when it was legal and uh, used for medicinal purposes at that time. Marijuana was also used for other things, uh, like making rope. A lot of people don't know that. So uh, marijuana has been illegal at the federal level and in the vast, vast majority of states uh, for a significant period of time. Uh, recently, uh, and this is in the last couple of years, two states legalized marijuana, not just for medicinal purposes, but for recreational, which was a departure from uh, general norms. Those states were Washington State and Colorado. Since then, many states have joined, including states like Massachusetts and California. Florida. Uh, just recently in November, passed an amendment called Amendment 2. This amendment made medicinal marijuana available in Florida for very specific conditions. Uh, The medicinal marijuana was granted for uh, certain types of, of illnesses, but it is still up in the air because... It, is, it needs to be uh, regulated and established by the state. Uh, just to give a quick heads up on what those are, because they're listed out uh, in the, the design, you have uh, diseases like cancer, epilepsy, glaucoma, 
uh, HIV and AIDS, uh, PTSD, and a few others. Uh, recreational marijuana is not currently legal in Florida, nor does it appear to be uh, on the topic of conversation for the next few years. The state of Florida now during this legislative legislative session has to figure out how to create the marijuana structure. Uh, and this is an important part of what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, first, let's start out with the political realities, right? Marijuana is now legal in a medicinal sense in Florida. To to be looking at it from a, should marijuana be legal medicinally or not is a, is a silly argument because it's in the Constitution. It's unlikely to change anytime soon. So let's look at it more from a practical perspective, right? We have the medicinal marijuana industry. We may at some point, though not right now, have a... Uh, recreational industry. How should this industry be treated? Should it be treated uh, like cigars, like uh, alcohol, like tobacco in general? Or uh, should there be a situation here like we're seeing with ride-sharing applications where the legacy industries are treated differently than the new industries? I'm going to start here with Nick because you actually have some experience in an industry that has been talked about being regulated like marijuana. Yeah, so uh, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a senior editor at Cigar Snob Magazine, so I, I cover issues related to um, uh, regulation and taxation of, uh, of tobacco products, especially premium hand-rolled cigars at the state, local, and, and federal levels. Um, and at, at least in my experience, uh, government intervention in... Uh, in these substances and in their sale and distribution, marketing uh, tends to unsurprisingly be guided uh, by the hand of quote unquote big tobacco. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, having seen the Altrias of the world. Uh, and so Altria, for those that don't know, is the uh, the new name of Philip Correct. Morris. Exactly, yeah. So having seen the, uh, the Altrias of the Philip Morris's of the world, back FDA regulation of uh, premium cigars, which is a new thing that just happened in the last few months. So basically under, um, under federal law, the FDA had authority to regulate tobacco products. Until very recently, they'd only been using that authority to regulate uh, cigarettes and, and other things that you might put in the same class of, of product. Uh, sort of unilaterally, and many people would say uh, in conflict with the original uh, uh, intent of the law, which was to prevent youth smoking, they've just sort of declared that they're expanding their authority to regulate two premium hand-rolled cigars. And as a high school teacher, I imagine you know that there is not an epidemic of kids smoking $15 cigars under the bleachers. Oh, it's mandatory in my classroom. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so... Uh, I imagine somebody's going to take that. One of your students is going to take that quote. <laughs> no, right. that. Disclaimer. Disclaimer. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> so let me give you a rundown of, of what this has looked like for premium cigars. Not because that's the topic of discussion, but because I think you can use it as an analog for at least some of what could happen in certain versions of a legal marijuana reality. Uh, what the FDA came out and said was uh, that they were requiring that any new uh, premium cigar product uh, and they're defining that as any new SKU so SKU being the barcodes. Unique, the unique barcodes so even if it's an existing product it's a new barcode if you've gone from packaging it in boxes of 20 to boxes of 5 hmm. or even 21 
Now you need to go to the FDA for approval on that product before you go to market. So this creates a huge barrier to entry for smaller, some would say huge, huge. Some might say huge, a big league. Yeah, or or, or that it creates a or big league, big league barriers. Um, so so that's one barrier to entry. Another thing they did was they said you are exempt from these uh, from these requirements if your product has been on the market since before 2007, which makes no sense whatsoever because if your objective is to make the world a safer place. Tobacco products that have just had the same name since before 2007 are no safer than products that you've renamed or repackaged. Yeah, it seems arbitrary. Exactly, right. So, um, And then uh, w w the impact that this has is that when we've already started to see some consolidation is that it creates all this legal overhead that mm -hmm. only big players in the industry are able to, uh, to cope with. Uh, because not only do you need to uh, have all these cigars like lab-tested for what purpose, I have no idea, because what are you gonna find? Like, oh yeah, this is a safe cigar. Like, I'm a cigar smoker, and I'll tell you, like, a cigar is not a part of anybody's, like, you know, health regimen. This is a thing that you're doing because you enjoy it. Like, it's like lab, taste, lab testing chocolate cake to see if it'll help you lose weight. It's just not gonna happen. Um, so uh, so what, what you see is this consolidation, because not only do you need to pay all these fees to get your products uh, uh, approved, you also are in a situation where you need to have attorneys constantly on retainer. Uh, and you need to have this whole compliance staff to ensure that you are nimble enough, even if you're a little mom and pop shop, to adapt. Uh, more relevant to some of the marijuana stuff, because we're talking about something that's been legalized for medicinal use, is vape products. For some medicinal mm -hmm. use. For some that's, medicinal that's use. Fit. It, we, one, one important point here is that uh, Florida's uh, medicinal program was drawn much stricter than, say, the program uh, that was famously drawn in California. Right where the old joke was that if you had a cough, that you could have a pot card. Exactly. Um, so for them, maybe you would argue making recreational uh, legal was actually kind of redundant. Mm -hmm. uh, but for Florida, it's very specifically drawn as we currently understand it. We're still waiting for the rules from the legislature. Yeah. So, so the, the last point that I'd make there is, um, is that you know, it's not an area that I cover, but, but vape products, which have been shown to at least Possibly, and also not to cut you yeah, off here, sure. but uh, vape products are are potentially also going to have their uh, regulation changed at the federal level. We don't. Oh, they already it. have. Yeah, well, and and even more so, I believe. Uh, like sure. some states are looking to regulate them as well, uh, exactly like cigarettes. Yeah. Hmm. So so in the case of vape products, which have been you know shown to at least perhaps curb cigarette smoking. Sure. Um, what you have is the same rules that apply to premium cigars now apply to, uh, to vape products. Uh, there's a reason why in a lot of places you saw all these brick and mortar vape stores pop up. It's because they knew this was coming and they wanted to uh, sort of get around the issues of establishing this like vast distribution network, like a normal product. So they wanted to be grandfathered in. Not so much grandfathered in as like, let's just build our own stores and sell as much of the stuff as we possibly can rather than build a sales force to like sell to third party retailers. Mm -hmm. So if you know that all this regulation is around the corner, you want to just get this stuff out. Mm -hmm. uh, and is that why there's a vapor shark on every corner now? That's what I'm saying. Right? It, vape, vape shark and uh, and mattress stores like and, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, mattress stores is kind of interesting. That's another fascinating Planet exactly. Money so, podcast. I, I feel like every episode we have a requirement to shout out a Planet <laughs> Money podcast episode. But that's another 
Are, so, are, oh, sorry, wait, are, are, are that was Freakonomics. Uh, <laughs> Another great business podcast. Uh, are, are the vapor stores anticipating becoming dispensaries as well? Is that one of the reasons why they're opening up everywhere? I, like, uh, I, right you mean marijuana uh, dispensaries? Yeah, if we're no, legalizing it medicinally. My my personal take, and you know, uh, this is something that I, I don't know how much these companies are on the record as saying, but what it looks like to me is that all these vape products came on the scene and were immediately controversial. And the thinking seems to have been... Who are they controversial for? I felt like vaping was pretty... I, I don't know. I felt like in my circle it was pretty standard. It's like, controversial it's in the sense of whatever. whether they ought to be regulated like cigarettes. Got it. So, because they can't... the omnipresence of the stores has been a little controversial as well. Sure. Is, I, I understand it's a popular trend, but there can't be that many people in need of a mattress, right? There can't be that many people exactly. in need of a mattress. So that's the thing. Yeah, the so economics I mean, behind those are very fascinating. Yeah, so if you're getting into this vape business and you're looking at at operating the way that a normal operator might do going through retailers, but you know that all this regulation is coming around the corner, what do you do? Do you actually try to convince the gro- the grocery stores and the Walmarts and the, the uh, gas stations to carry your product? Or do you just open a store and start selling right. it tomorrow? So that's I think that's where some of that comes from. I think that they went into it knowing that that business model would die and they just try to profit as much as possible mm-hmm. from it before that regulation came around the corner. Um, How powerful but, is the vapor lobby? Uh, I don't know how powerful it is. I don't is. think there is one. But the, th- but the thing is that because it was so unregulated, a lot of this was mom and pop stuff. So if you're running a mom and pop shop, uh, you know, or even some of this Vapor Shark stuff, which is really not a huge company. Uh, Nothing like Altria. No, of course not. <laughs> uh, so, but if you if you look at the way that some of them operate, right, they're, they're offering like new flavors that are on special today. Well, you can no longer do that because that is a new product. It's a new SKU that the FDA would have to approve before it goes to market. So you'd have to submit, even if you had cherry and orange, and what you've done is mix the two vials together and sell that as a cherry orange flavor, mm-hmm. that's a new product and you can no longer do that. So all this innovation, right, for lack of a better word, because I understand that's a stretch to call it innovation, but all this innovation that's happened at least from like a business model's per- model perspective is out the window. Um, and my fear would be that if marijuana, and I'm not very well versed in the research on the medical side, but if marijuana has... We'll have, benefits. Uh, we'll have Kathy on in a little bit sure. for, for that part. But if, if there are those benefits, uh, I think what's happened in tobacco and especially in vape products that a lot of people would suggest are uh, helping to get people off of more addictive tobacco products, I think there's a case to be made that we have plenty of precedent for how uh, heavy regulation, uh, especially of the business model of marijuana, could be detrimental to you know, and, and slow or retard its, its potential health benefits. I think it's interesting from, from like what the legislature is planning to do. It's unclear where where they're going with this. I mean, they have to do something because it, it's it's legal, but it's kind of not um, because there's regulation pending. There is one bill uh, that's a competing bill to a previous one. So there's two bills that are out there: SB six fourteen and SB four hundred six. And basically, the the differentiator is. Uh, how are the licenses going to be granted? So it seems like they're going to need licenses. Um, right now, the state law, because Florida does actually have, before Amendment 2, had a very, very narrowly drawn uh, medicinal marijuana uh, program. It was uh, called Charlotte's Web, uh, and there it was very, very specific. There were licenses granted to seven companies uh, for them to grow and process and everything. Uh, SB 406 keeps that system intact and uh, seeks to just uh, uh, create more licenses based on the demand. 
uh, SB614, um, this is a little bit of alphabet soup here, but uh, what that does is it eliminates the current system and it allows new businesses to come in, be licensed as growers, distributors, or processors. Uh, you can have pills, you can have oils. Uh, so basically, they're all over the place. It's entirely possible. There will be regulation of some sort um, because it's specifically medicinal, but they're all kind of all over the place. I guess the, the question to bring it back to, to our conversation is, what should be the, the ideal? Should there be a, a, a highly regulated system for medicinal marijuana so that it, it stays in the bounds of what the people have approved? Or do we see a lot of the dangers that Nick was talking about and may having too much regulation, whatever that may be, actually prevent the people who this is supposed to help from getting the access to the care they need? I know what do you think? I'm going to sit back on this one. <laughs> so I'll, I'll ask a question here. Maybe maybe you know. It, you mentioned how California, uh, and I was sort of aware of this, uh, how, how California's model makes medicinal marijuana much more accessible, and so the uh, allowance for recreational marijuana is sort of redundant. Are there models that more closely resemble what we ended up with Florida here now? Uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll be quite honest. Uh, a significant percentage of my knowledge of California's medicinal marijuana system is from it being made fun of on shows like Entourage. Um, <laughs> but uh, from from what I understand, um, that was the old joke about medicinal marijuana. I mean, a lot of people that have that that take a prohibitionist stance are against the legalization of medicinal marijuana, not because they discount the the benefits of it. Um, and a lot of the benefits that, that Kathy will speak to are, are, um, well, you know, planned, uh, well experimented on in, in double blind settings and such, but because it's the slippery slug argument and because enforcement of it at the state level seems lax. Um, but then again, there are some states where they didn't even have that intervening step. Like, uh, Massachusetts, I mentioned earlier, uh, made recreational marijuana legal they skipped completely too from what i understand they didn't even have a medicinal program it's like screw it everything's legal whatever yeah uh just do what you want um now i'm sure they're gonna have a regulatory system as well but um you know it's interesting that a lot of the times the arguments made for the legalization of marijuana have very little to do with marijuana itself and more to do with the potential windfall of taxation um, but then this is where uh, it, it reminds me so much of the difference between Uber and versus taxis as opposed to regulating it like other industries. The, the fight and, and you know, uh, listen to our transportation episode for more on, on the Uber versus taxi fight. But one of the fights at the state level is not should Uber be legal. Uber and Lyft have won that fight. Right. And, and pretty much everywhere in the country, they are now legal. What they're fighting over now is whether they should be regulated the same way as the taxi cabs, because taxi cabs are, are a very stringently regulated industry. Mm -hmm. um, and Uber and Lyft and similar apps clearly don't want that. They don't want to be regulated that way. Um, I, I see parallels in the marijuana industry. Uh, I see a, 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 a circumstance where do you regulate marijuana like tobacco? Tobacco, this is a statistic from a while ago, so it, it might be more now. I significantly, sincerely doubt it's less. But it always made sense to me. It didn't make sense to me. I'm not a smoker, but um, 
if you bought a, a pack of cigarettes in Florida, 46% of, and this is like a 2010 number, so it's probably higher. 46% of the sale price was some taxation or another, mm-hmm. right? Um, and these are what we call sin taxes, which their entire purpose is to get people to stop doing whatever it is that, that the tax is on, the tax is levied on. But what always got me was that you had to pay sales tax on the whole price. So you charge sales tax on the tax. Mm-hmm. I always That always made me chuckle. I was like, That's, yeah. that seems interesting. Marijuana is being legalized, for, for many people believe anyway, uh, that it's being legalized specifically for the revenue. So do you put a sin tax on it to try to get people to not do it? Or do you just put a regular sales tax and just say, listen, we're not going to do the sin taxes, but... Uh, you know, seven percent state tax. Well, six percent state tax and one extra percent for Miami-Dade County. So seven percent. You go buy a, a pack of marijuana cigarettes for for five dollars, and you know, total comes out to five thirty-five. I don't know. Like, which? What are we looking at here? Yeah, I mean, if the question is, you know, in a in a Florida where recreational marijuana is legal, how do you tax it to benefit? Well, even the, even if it's only medicinal, I mean, only you have medicinal. to tax, a lot of drugs are taxed. I, Not all, but a lot. I mean, Over-the-counter stuff is taxed. Yeah, if the question is how do we capitalize to benefit the state and its residents economically, I, I would prefer to see a, a marijuana you know regime where there's more opportunity and lower barriers for entrepreneurs to enter that market. Um, I, I, th- I think that this is uh, you know, a, a, an area where uh, there's tons and tons of opportunity and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me to, to put all this upfront cost, which is what that is, right? Because if you're, if you're taxing people on various aspects of its production and sale and distribution, you're also requiring that there's overhead for compliance and, and that, you know, you should be able to just, let me just sort of step back, right? Like my ideal is you should just be able to grow the pot in your backyard and sell it to your neighbor without any kind of a problem, packaged however you want. So the farther you get from that, the farther we are from my ideal. Why is that? Because I don't, because I think that if, if it's two consenting adults, right? So it's a transactional thing, right? It's a tra- yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an issue of property rights, and it's an issue of you having a right to consume whatever product you have. I'm not even a pot smoker. I don't personally care about what kind of access I have to pot, but you know, I think that that's a thing that people ought to have a right to do, and I think that it is, especially in this case, it's a product with such broad appeal across all like racial and socioeconomic whatever uh, it seems mm-hmm. to me if it's like, made available, people will go for it. Exactly. Not only that, but well, it, some it, people made the argument that if it's made legal, less people will use it because some people smoke pot simply because it's illegal. Right? Didn't they? I don't know if I buy right? that argument. Yeah, but I don't know if I buy that either. But but I think that it, it also presents a tremendous opportunity, you know, for people who maybe don't have access, like for people who are in economic situations where they don't have access uh, to to good job opportunities or marketable skills or right. So the whole if the whole purpose of a syntax is or if we're going to talk about the windfall, the whole purpose of the windfall is is to improve the economic situation of the state and the people in it. I would rather that be achieved by making it easier for people to be productive in this new sector, um, not more difficult. It's so, interesting uh, you talk about the difference between recreational and, and medicinal. Uh, I'd like to hear from from Kathy here on sure. on the differences, like because because um, yeah, she'll tell us now. She supports. Uh, the medicinal part for some diseases, but not the the recreational. the recreational. So it'll be interesting to hear from her. 
Okay, so like you've been hearing uh, our other two panelists uh, talk about, the truth is that marijuana in Florida is a legality. And when things become legal, they don't tend to become illegal later. It's, it's very rare. So let's deal with what is in front of the legislature right now. The legalization of medical marijuana for certain positions. Why could this be either a good thing or a bad thing for the general health? I think it will be a good thing for the general health. There are, there are certain conditions that marijuana has been clinically proven to help. Like um, what? Um, for cancer patients. It's very helpful with cancer patients with nausea and vomiting. Very helpful with them with their pain. Um, there's studies showing that it's very helpful for patients that suffer from glaucoma. Those are the conditions that most studies have been done on. on. There are other studies going on right now, seeing the benefit of the use of marijuana with patients with Parkinson's disease. Um, there's studies being conducted to see if there's any benefit um, in slowing the progression of dementia in the future. Um, there are even studies being conducted on children with autism disease and I mean there's different forms of autism but some of the ones that are more where, uh, where the child can't stay still and and they're kind of completely disconnected um, from like the world and there's studies being done to see if giving them marijuana actually would calm down their system and see if they can connect more with their parents and the people around them so there's multiple studies there's multiple clinical trials going on to see all the different medical benefits for, for marijuana the the amendment too as it was crafted is is very specific it lists out about 10 diseases uh, or conditions most of which you mentioned that medical marijuana is legal for one of the challenges that persists in uh, medical marijuana medical marijuana research is the fact that it's a schedule one drug at the federal level which means that it's difficult for clinics and universities to have access to the drug for testing so does that mean that we have a potential remedy here that could be legal for many, many uses medicinally? It just hasn't been tested yet. And the ones that were specifically named were tested. So the idea being here, just make it, make it legal for all medicinal purposes, and then the testing will come later. Yes, I do think you have the potential for that. You have to realize um, with controlled medications, like... To look at oxycodone. It's not a Schedule One; it's a Schedule Two drug. And we have an opioid crisis at the moment across the country. We do. With oxycodone as one of the big perpetrators. Right. Exactly. Um, it's legal on a federal level because it can be clinically used. Like if you're anything from a Schedule Two and up, you know they're technically they're they're legal medications with prescriptions. You mean, uh, so like Schedule Two, Schedule Three, Three et cetera. Four, exactly. Going down. Yeah. Going in that direction. It's, I think it'd be very likely for us to see marijuana being changed from a Schedule One drug to a Schedule Two drug. Okay. What about downsides? Are there any medicinal downsides to marijuana so far, or is this an area where the science is still in the dark? Downside, I would say, probably is the abuse. Okay. But that's a downside to all medications in general, not just narcotics, medications in general you know an antidepressant can be abused and anxiety pill can be you you know just general medications can be you, that's always the dark side to medications in terms of diseases where it can cause harm since it has been illegal all this time uh, there aren't really studies showing what diseases it could actually cause harm for right now the studies are being done what diseases it could help for um could it have the potential of actually hurting more than helping yes of course but 
do we have the studies to show that at this moment? No. It would be as we start testing it more is when we're going to see the true benefits and the true downfalls in, in terms of Medicaid and like in medicinal purposes. So like, what, like we briefly talked about, we do have a bit of an opioid crisis that's getting more attention now uh, in the U.S. Marijuana has been believed, I don't know if, if the science is there to show that it actually chemically has these properties, but it has been believed over time to have addictive qualities. Is, is that really potentially asking for trouble? Uh, it, legalizing something that may have addictive qualities in the time when we have a population that seems to be quite addictive. It, I mean, it does have addictive qualities. There's a reason it's a Schedule One drug. Um, but I, like you already stated, we have an opioid crisis in this country, and we already have medication. So basically, it's like yeah, whatever. It's already a problem. Yeah, so it's, just already a, on it. it's already a problem. Like we already have medications on the market that have addictive qualities. There's a reason we have an issue with it. Um, okay. And as just as a general statement, the United States in general has a drug addiction problem. Like mm -hmm. the average American past the age of 50, they take over 20 medications a day. Sheesh. That's that's the average. Um, How many of those are available in gummy bear form? <laughs> very few. Oh, too bad. There's very few gummy bear forms. That's the breakthrough. <laughs> um, but... Like, I mean, basically, you go to the doctor these days and you get a pill for almost everything. And you have patients, you know, they get pills for depression, blood pressure, cholesterol, pretty much everything. Um, and, and it's just an issue. It's more of an issue of a drug addiction problem across the United States. Um, whether it's going to make it the problem better or worse. I mean, the problem exists. I guess it could make it worse. Um, I guess there's only one way to we'll find, find out. out. Exactly. So why... Why the benefits and the legalization for medicinal but not recreational? What's the difference? Same stance. I wouldn't say let's put Oxycontin on the market, you know, without a prescription. I mean, there are medications that are addictive. So, sure. So if they're addictive, you need to be monitored by a physician. That's my personal opinion. So I don't think it should be used for recreational use because it does impair your judgment. Yeah. I mean, and if you're just putting it out there. You know, what if a person decides to go out and drive or, or yeah. handle a gun? Or, and I mean, you can argue, well, alcohol also impairs your judgment. That was the, where I was going to go with or, that. Yeah, yeah, alcohol and, and, and other potentially mind-altering substances, heck, like even caffeine, right. are, are very legal and yes. actually part of And they do the, culture. The, the same thing. But I guess there I stand more... <laughs> if you think about it, if we're taking caffeine as a potential mind-altering drug, which may not be completely fair... You know, we have uh, caffeine dispensaries at every corner. Yes. Uh, and that seems fine. Yes. Um, I guess there I go on the stance, let's not add to the to the problem, I guess. So then the, 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 the harm would outweigh the potential benefit of recreational. Correct. But what about, what about the, the theory that, uh, not the theory, this is a, a specific ideology, that consenting adults should have the right to do whatever they please as long as they don't hurt another person. I think that's fair. That's a fair statement. Um, how do you guarantee that someone that's, I guess, just high, you know, take, you know, how do you guarantee that they aren't going to harm someone? Well, I mean, I guess if we're following stereotypes, then they're going to be much more interested in drowning themselves in Cheetos than going around and shooting people. That's true. I mean, that's a valid, that's a valid point. Um, if the medicinal marijuana experiment goes well and we see a, a benefit in the, a, a very real benefit, tangible benefit to the people that it is now legalized for, will that open the door 
to more expanded use or do you think that this is going to continue to be a very very closely monitored uh, potential treatment I want to say that, at least from a medical standpoint, I think it's going to open more doors. I think more okay. clinicians are going to use it to test and see how many patients it can actually benefit. Um, if you, Talking from a legislative purpose, mm -hmm. like point of view, I would say, I guess people are going to still find it as a point of contention. And, and I guess, you know, you have, it has been a Schedule One drug for so long and it has a, this stigma. And still is. I, it still is a Schedule, Schedule One drug, drug, regardless of what states do. Right. Um, and it has the stigma attached to it. So I'm assuming that there's still going to be arguments over it and discussions over it and whether to make it legal in your state or whether to move it from Schedule 1 to Schedule 2 as a, on a federal level. Um, I'm assuming those arguments are still going to be going on for a while. I wish they would give that same kind of focus to some of the medications that we currently have in the market that are, you know, within the Schedule 2 to Schedule 5 range, which are, are what we could consider our controls mm -hmm. our narcotics are what we have in our schedule is it, range. is it true that i don't know if it's specifically this one but that cocaine or one of those drugs is actually scheduled lower than marijuana i don't remember i don't know I if don't, it's cocaine or heroin cocaine, or one of those like really not, you know nasty no, drugs it's gonna be cocaine because okay. cocaine was used before i want to say 100 years back by actually by dentists to perform actual oh, and, dental procedures and psychologists and yeah so i want to say it, it, it's probably cocaine but I don't remember exactly, so I okay. don't want to say something I'm not sure about. Uh, la last question on, on the medicinal front. Is there any sort of difference to intake? What I mean by that is do... So there, there's many ways we've learned uh, through other states to ingest marijuana medicinally. You could do it through legitimately just smoking it as yeah. is the stereotype. Uh, there are vapors, there mm -hmm. are uh, chewables, there's brownies if you want to go, uh, you know, junior and high school route. Um, so is there any sort of, of difference in from a medicinal perspective and how you intake uh, the marijuana? Is the THC actually a, a relevant component um, to the medicinal properties or that is, is that just the fun part? Is, is there any difference? Or like basically, I guess one of the old stereotypes here is that people are just going to have, have a bunch of grandmas token up uh, at La Carreta. Is, is that is that actually the way they should be doing it or should they be putting it in a brownie? Um, I think most of the studies have been done people actually smoking it and via inhalation. I, okay. I think if I remember correctly, that's what most of the studies have been have been done conducted um i'm assuming that they are doing studies to show like different dosage forms to see if they increase you know maybe the thc level to see what kind of effect um and exactly like that's stuff that's still being played around with well i'd imagine that that smoking marijuana as opposed to uh ingesting it in other methods is significantly uh less healthy for you considering what we know about cigarettes Cigarette, and i understand right. it's not the same chemistry but it's also not that different I mean, you're Correct. still lighting something on fire and putting it in your mouth. Uh, so, I mean, I imagine that that would not be that healthy for you. Probably not. And I'm assuming, I know that they actually are have like marijuana tinctures. Like they're uh, so... Tissues? Tinctures. What is what is that? It's I've never a, heard that word. Tincture is a liquid form. Okay. Um, Which is very difficult for me to understand because listeners aren't going to see this, obviously. But yeah. you're like holding, you're, yeah, you're pretending usually, to hold something. It's, it's, like, it's little, usually something you do for a solid, Kathy. Yeah, it's, <laughs> Well, it's usually in a little vial. A okay, got it. It's usually in a little vial, um, and you can either swallow it literally, like 
you know, like like a like liquid, a shot, like, like a, a shot of marijuana, like a shot of marijuana. You get that at a bar. Um, or I I'm not sure if they have tinctures like that you can put on mar- of marijuana tinctures on your skin, but so like, like marijuana cream. But like like the iodine, I don't know if your grandmother ever did this to you, but I know whenever I got you know she put the iodine, that's what that was considered a tincture. Yeah. Ah, okay, I get that. Um, so they have that. They have it. I know that they have it in tincture form. And would that make it? Uh, would that make it enter the bloodstream quicker? Maybe have potential benefits that way? Or... Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, thank you for the medicinal perspective, and uh, we will we'll see how how this plays out in the state. Mm-hmm. All right. So so having heard uh, Kathy's position on this. Um, is there really, is this something that the state should be drawing a line between, right? So I guess that the broader question here is the state government, uh, we'll ignore the feds for a second, uh, the state government, do they have a burden to help to steer people in a direction that may be better for them, whatever better means, right? But should the, ta- the state take a stance on a substance that you put in your body um, versus not. I mean, a counter argument could be that uh, why would we legalize marijuana but not legal, not make uh, cocaine illegal, right? Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, how, what's the difference? Cocaine actually used to be prescribed by Dr. Uh, Sigmund Freud. Um, but then on the other hand, you have marijuana is legal, but alcohol is legal. Opioids. Uh, a lot of opioids, which is an epidemic across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, heck, coffee's legal, and caffeine is is ha- has an incredible, incredibly addictive uh, tendency. So I know you don't want to talk about it, but that's why Trump doesn't drink coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows how crazy he'd be if he were hopped up on caffeine? That's the, the, uh, that is uh, an interesting perspective. Good thing we don't <laughs> deal with presidential issues here at Voterade. Um <laughs> But yeah, I guess I guess the question here is why draw the line at all, and if we're gonna draw the line, what's more important, the individual's right to contract or the state's obligation to keep people alive? I don't I don't know how to even say that properly. Uh, I think that the lines are drawn on a lot of these things uh, in manners that that don't reflect the substance or the issue, but rather what that substance or issue will undermine for other businesses. So, so it's like a proxy fight almost. Uh, kind of, yeah. I mean, I, I think, and it's a perpetual fight because of the stigmas that are attached to it or any other uh, issues like this one. Um, all right, I, I, I'm going to have to do some, like, after-the-fact research to make sure that I'm getting this right because I don't want to misquote history, but my understanding and is... And we'll, uh, we'll have a, a page up on, on the site with the transcript and, and any additional research people would want to do. Okay, so. yeah, that's fine. And please, you know, like, cut this out if I'm completely <laughs> wrong upon researching it, but if I... Oh, no, we're going to leave you in to dry. <laughs> You're going to be hung out to dry. Set that horrible standard. Uh, if, if I remember correctly, part of the reason why illegalization happened at the national level originally was was because of um, the pulp industry. And it was lobbying against the use of hemp. You said that hemp was being used for rope and so forth. Another thing. Uh, the the e- ease of productivity was a threat to what is otherwise a, a, um, a, a, an industry like the pulp industry that has only a finite amount of trees at their disposal, sure. for instance. So, you know, the push came not having anything to do with the the sin or the substance, but rather the impact it would have on other industries if it was made available. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, sort of 
going up, you know, the 10,000 foot view, my, my perspective is that anything government does, right? If we're talking about whether government is looking out for your health and your safety, anything government does, it achieves violently. Um, that's the, uh, what is it? A uh, pen? Uh, the one that talks. Uh, pen. Pen, yeah. Oh, that's, pen, that's, of, that's, of Penn and Teller. Pen and, of yeah. Penn and Teller. That's his argument, right? That everything that, uh, that the government does, they do at the barrel of a gun. Sure, right. I mean, de- definitionally, that's what a government is, right? What makes government different from any other institution? The only difference is the government has a legal monopoly on the use of force against people who are acting peacefully. Mm-hmm. Any other institution can be violent if it's a response to violence. In any case, it, in my mind, anything that moves us farther away from uh, from the uh, violent consequences of the drug war, whether that's mm-hmm. you know uh, between uh, civil society uh, or criminal elements and government, or criminal elements against each other. I mean, we were in the last episode that we recorded. We were talking about guns. I mean, how much gun crime is directly related to things like pot, which is more or less uncontroversially not a thing that we should be policing violently. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, you know, I, I am not at all concerned with the government having a role in, in, you know, keeping us healthy, especially in light of the fact that government policy on pot uh, is, is making a lot of people dead. Um, ignoring the medicinal aspect. Ignoring the medicinal. Well, yeah, but I'll, I'll, what that does is, so I'm, I'm not... Oh, you mean like give, the, the gang part the, of it? Yeah, yeah, okay. just the, the violence that comes with, uh, with the, the violence surrounding marijuana and and other drugs. I, I the you brought up cocaine. The, the only reason why I would separate them is because they're different in the sense that one is more controversial than the other. So I I personally would rather uh, scale back the drug war, and I would personally rather uh, incrementally um, you know uh, create economic opportunity for people who might find it in marijuana than spend an eternity arguing about whether we should legalize marijuana and cocaine together. But along those lines, uh, regarding enforcement uh, over drug usage, uh, apparently a Department of Corrections study in 2013 in Florida found that there was a 25% recidivism rate for drug offenders. So, and are these just marijuana offenders, or is this drugs? No, this is. uh, I believe it was drugs as a whole, but basically, uh, one quarter of the people who went to jail went back to jail because of some substance-related issue. So uh, if it is out there and people are using it, whether it's legal or illegal, the repercussions of its usage uh, clearly have an impact that is not really being fixed with efficacy. So, you know, to to kind of expand in that direction a little bit, maybe we should be looking at enforcement as something that corrections should correct, uh, such as rehabilitation over incarceration for this kind of drug usage. Well, that's an interesting um, perspective because uh, that was one of the places I thought we, we could go next. Um, let's say we live in a hypothetical world where actually let's let's not a hypothetical world. Let's go to one of the states that have legalized marijuana completely. Right, there are a lot of people that are in jail for uh, smoking pot. Mm-hmm. They've been convicted of a crime that was that they committed a crime. Right, it was against the law at the time. It's no longer against the law in in, in these states. In Florida, it is. I want to stress that. Um, don't don't get any ideas, kids. Um, <laughs> also, still illegal at the federal level. It's also important to note that that this is a case of, of federal supremacy, yeah. where yeah, so it's, it's hard to escape the federal issue. Yeah, the the, the in this one instance, uh, the federal government is not a, a, a censored word because. Um, 
yes, it's marijuana is now legal recreationally in, in a handful of states. Um, but it's illegal in the United States as a whole. Mm-hmm. So what happens to to uh, people that are in jail for breaking a state law that is no longer a state law, but is still against the law federally? What, right. That's a very mm-hmm. strange limbo. It's it's a strange limbo, and it's a limbo that even people who aren't in jail yet are, are caught up in. If you look at uh, Colorado, for instance, I mean, it, it, at least in the last uh, year or so, I know that I've seen stories related to, uh, to to theft because all these people who are involved in that business, and this may have changed more recently, I haven't followed Colorado very closely, but people who are engaged in, in this industry when it's legal at the state level and illegal at the federal level may be able to do business with their neighbors, but they still have issues, for example, banking, uh, because there are, federal, there are federal issues and the banks don't want to get caught up in that industry uh, and, and run afoul of federal law. So, you know, um, <clears throat> It, it, it's a dangerous limbo even if you're not in prison because you may have a dispensary and, and you're dealing with safe loads of cash and you're driving around with tons of cash and anybody who knows what your business is knows that you're moving cash around every single day. Um, which is just, uh, you know, so the, the federal issue is a difficult one to escape. Um, I, I do think though, you know, to, to your point about people who are currently in prison because, uh, because of these things that are now legal at the state level, um, you know, we see uh, commutations and pardons and that sort of thing for all sorts of lesser things. So I, I think that a, a good place to start, at least in terms of finding consensus on how to address that issue, would be people who are in, in prison for uh, crimes related to consumption and possession. Um, but they know. did break the law. Sure. Yeah. No, my point is that there are lots of other situations where people break the law and we let them off the hook. Okay. So if the discussion is... What do we do with them? I imagine that the only two options are let them off the hook or don't. And the easiest place to start is crimes related to consumption and possession mm-hmm. rather than, say, like distribution, uh, any like drug-related violence, which I think we can still move on to, right? I mean, but uh, uh, especially the distribution thing. Like, I, my, I personally would not feel like a great moral, you know, harm has been done if we let somebody out of prison who was there for selling some pot. Um, but I think we can start with the people who just had a bunch of it on them because they wanted to smoke a lot. Okay. What do you What do you think, Adam? Uh, <laughs> I, I think that was uh, articulately phrased. Yeah, I, I just think I think that it's it's a tough balance, right? Because we have a situation where we have marijuana or, or any law really, where if a law changes and something was illegal and now it's legal, you have a perspective where. The people that are in jail are in jail for something that if they did it that day, they would not go to jail for. However, mm-hmm. when when they did whatever that thing was, it was le- it was illegal. Right. And of course, again, coming back to the federal supremacy issue, marijuana is a Schedule One drug in the United States, which means that uh, even if you are seeking to do medical trials on it, the the access to it is su- significantly limited by the law. So. I mean, you know, it, it's it's interesting because this is one of those issues where uh, normally the state's rights crowd and the people that are all for federal supremacy are, are in many ways swapped. Uh, and people who normally uh, want the federal government to be supreme are arguing for states' rights and, and vice versa. It's not a it's, it may not be a perfect analog, and, and I don't know enough about it, but it's occurring to me now that maybe we and people listening to this, it'd be interesting to look back and see what happened to people who were in prison 
for being prohibition era bootleggers and moonshiners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I, I have no idea what became of the people who ended up in prison for that stuff. Well, what's interesting is that a lot of a lot of the people that we associate with having gone to prison in that time for doing that <clears throat> didn't go to prison for that. Most famously, uh, Al Capone, who should be a hero to nobody. Um, True. Is Al Capone went to prison because uh, he didn't know how to pay his taxes properly, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and and let that be a lesson to you kids. V for Vendetta said it uh, clearly: if you ever want to find the most accurate records on a person, you go to the tax office. Uh, mm-hmm. Nobody knows more about you in the federal government, uh, save the NSA, than uh, than the IRS. But and we, even then, I'm not sure if the if the NSA has more info than the IRS. Yeah. The IRS got a lot of info. And to to your point though, right about like, well, Al Capone should be a hero to nobody. No, but there are other aspects of, of Prohibition era activity. Sure. That I mean, NASCAR only exists because of Prohibition era bootleggers. Like the whole idea of people taking stock cars and driving the hell out of them. Yeah. NASCAR was born because bootleggers needed a way to compete when they no longer had work bootlegging. Like I can drive stock cars that were not built for racing pretty fast, and I know how to make them a little bit faster. That's where NASCAR yeah. comes from. Um, yeah. So. I, yeah. So there, I think if you look at marijuana, it you yes, you can be an idiot selling pot on your corner, but there are people, you know, I'm, I'm, I have no problem saying that there are some pretty, there must be some pretty great business minds distributing and selling pot, you know. Um, well, listen, I mean, it, they're, it, they're not to be, uh, their, their behavior insofar as what they were willing to do for their business is not to be copied, but... One of the greatest businessmen of the 20th century was Lucky Luciano, the the mobster of New York. There you go. Uh, AMC did this great series on him, um, and uh, like they, he actually like he's a terrible human being, but some of, but as a business person, it's hard to argue with his success. I mean, they 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 did a lot of things that legit businesses learn from later on. I'd uh, rather channel that talent in a productive direction, or or right I'm not. Luciano's necessarily <laughs> no no but uh, like you know the, the, avoid a profession that will wind you up in jail yes, of that, course. that is a legitimate possibility <laughs> of, That's, course, lesson of course for today but yes. my point is that people who are in jail for crimes of simply selling to consenting peaceful adults sure. who exist I mean I think that that's talent that we're that we're losing on and that we'd all benefit economically and you know whatever uh, we'd benefit more from their having some freedom to put that talent to use for a product that consenting adults actually want to consume than we would by putting, you know, consolidating the power of marijuana in the hands of a few powerful corporations who can, you know, stand a tax burden. Uh, before we go, you guys have anything to plug? Yes. <laughs> I mentioned it earlier, but uh, you can find my uh, fledgling website at daydemag.com. That's D A D E M A G. Uh, the idea is that it is a magazine-style website with content that should appeal to people all over, not just South Florida or even Florida. Uh, there's interviews, there's feature stories, there's um, all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, also, uh, just to plug, because I think it would be fun, things that have nothing to do with us, uh, do yourself a favor, get on YouTube and look for a cover singer called Tongo, T-O-N-G-O. He oh is a Peruvian who does covers of popular American, especially 90s songs, in the most broken English you've ever heard in your life. Uh, most recently, 
uh, Lincoln Park's Numb, which is pretty great. <laughs> that reminds me of the Smash Mouth guy. Yeah. Uh, Adam, anything completely unrelated to politics that you and yourself that you'd like to plug? Uh, at this not, point, this no, is a I'm, fantastic it, tradition. Yeah. No. Now, now I just need to head over to YouTube to see what Tonga was up to. <laughs> yeah. I think awesome. we're we're all doing this uh, yeah. as as we go. Uh, here's what I'm gonna plug. that's unrelated to to the podcast. Uh, and that is the eventual sale of the Marlins uh, by Jeffrey Loria. But Jeffrey Loria is a cancer. Uh, any way we can get rid of him, whether it be as ambassador to France, which, to be honest, it doesn't seem like a very difficult position anyway. Th- this is a completely true statistic. There was a time when Jeffrey Loria was less popular in Miami-Dade County than Fidel Castro. Fidel Castro, the brutal dictator, who should also be a hero to nobody, who... Uh, was responsible for populating Miami-Dade County through kicking out anybody uh, uh, from Cuba who he disagreed with uh, if, if he didn't murder them first. Yes, that person, that dictator, was more popular in Miami-Dade County than Jeffrey Loria, uh, the owner of the Martins, which should tell you, the listener, all you need to know about uh, his time as being the owner of the club. So, good riddance. Go away. And whoever buys the team, please change the colors back to teal and black. Those are the only colors the, the Marlins should ever play in. They're the colors we won two World Series in. All right, so that's about it. Uh, join us next time when we'll talk about another interesting issue at the state level. And uh, don't forget that when the state legislature wraps up its session at the beginning of May, we will be with you with a special uh, episode. Think of it like a, a post-game episode that will wrap up all of the issues we talked about, what happened before the legislature, what didn't, and also compare Florida to the other states of our great union uh, so that you can know what it is that you're in for if you live in um, America's uh, male appendage. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. See you later. Feelings are faces, like under the surface. Don't know what you're repeating of me. Put under pressure for walking in your truth. Every step is a taking, I know the mistake.